Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Ah, well, good morning, North Shore. How are you? Good to see you. Good. I'm I'm excited. I want to start um, just by pausing for a moment. Many of you know yesterday, you know, we saw the uh, 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Um, And I'm looking out here, and there's some of you I don't think were born then, right? Uh, Some of us were much younger. Uh, when we saw those images on TV and we had to sort through as things progressed of what is happening. Oh no, this is happening. What's going to happen? And it's a time in our country as we process that, as we have been processing for 20 years um, of what our eyes saw, right? I would say this. Um, there is an innocence lost because it was years before the attack of Pearl Harbor, before our country saw uh, an attack on our country in that way. And we got to a place where could that happen? And it wasn't just an attack on America, right? It was an attack on, on, on the world, freedom. And so, you know, this past about three or four days, I've just been kind of just sitting in that probably like a lot of you, watching a lot, remembering, listening to transcripts of conversations and phone calls and all this stuff. And what rose up in me is what our whole series is about uh, at the beginning here in this fall, and that's this idea of hope. Because what you saw, I watched firefighters run toward those buildings, right? I watched civilians run toward the buildings. I watched people who probably would have never talked in an entire lifetime scoop one another up and and run bloody bodies to safety. I saw countries all over this planet come together in mourning. You know, and, and I watched our public servants, our military rise up in action. And so I just want to take just a second to say we remember, we won't forget, and there is an example that was given to us that we want to follow every day, and the hope is alive and well because of Jesus Christ. So you take just a moment with me, and I'm going to pray us into our service, but I just want to just in silence Whatever your thank you is, whatever your remembrance is, I want to give you that space. And then I'll pray for our message this morning. Will you join us online as well? Let's just take a moment of silence. Father God, as we you know, step into our message, this moment, but every moment, we do not want to forget the lives that were lost on that day and after. Father, the people's uh, 
that the course of the reality changed for our brothers and sisters that are public servants in the military, Father, um, their world changed that day. And we want to say we remember. We want to say thank you. We want to say we are with you. We are unified. We are together. And God, our hope is found only in you. And allow us every day, even in this moment, as we hear this message, as we look at your word, to be reminded of that hope we have in Jesus Christ. We love you. We are grateful. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. If um, you're needing a Bible, uh, go ahead and raise your hand up, and the ushers will get a Bible to you. Uh, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Um, our series on our mission and vision over the course of the next few weeks uh, is, will be topical. We're going to be all over. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 is a place to go, um, and we'll be looking at that, but really be talking practical. My hope is this, um, that you will better understand the vision and mission of our church, and we'll step into that, and then us collectively will take God's work out here and uh, transform our communities. So last week, I talked about what we call our compelling statement, hope changes everything. This is our overriding belief. It's our overriding confidence that hope, Jesus, can and will change everything. And it's the message that we want to go from here out to our entire communities. And it's that compelling statement. Hope changes everything that drives our vision and our mission. You know, our vision is this, is to see our communities change through hope uh, in Jesus Christ. Excuse me, change, like I said, to see our communities change through hope in Jesus one person at a time. It's early, right? Have I got to get this caffeine kicking in. <laughs> to see our communities change through hope in Jesus one person at a time in our mission is to passionately pursue Jesus, to radically love one another, and to compassionately serve our neighbors and relationally disciple all people. So you have to understand about vision and mission. Your mission is how you create a culture that allows you to achieve your vision. Did you catch that? Your mission, those elements, is how you create a culture to achieve your mission. It's important that we understand this. I want to give you a little picture. I want to, uh, so here's plants. These are actually upstairs um, in my office, uh, by my office. And the one on the left, and I love this, the irony of it, it says a place to grow. You see that plant? Okay, <laughs> I love it. Um, and on the right um, is another plant. And just a little side note, that's called a prayer plant. And I don't know if you, you know, you green thumbs know, but I didn't know that. I just found this out the other day. What it does is uh, daily the leaves will lift up vertically toward the sky. So they call it a prayer plant, right? Um, what do you think the difference of those plants are 
The one left, you don't even know the species, just so you know. Um, what's the difference? Right? Why are they different? Because they're soil. One of those plants are in a soil that is healthy. Can you guess which one? The praying one, right? Come on. <laughs> no, that, that was bad, I know. But yeah, the one on the right. The one on the left has bad soil. See, for a church, your mission is your culture. And your mission is only a healthy soil when it's lived out. You with me? Talk is cheap. Words are cheap. Posters are cheap. They're just words. But when those are put into action, that mission is put into action. It creates a culture that allows you to whatever you're planting, for us we're planting kingdom seeds, right, to grow into what God created it to be and to bear the fruit that God has it to bear. You with me? You get it? So we talk about vision and mission. Why are we talking about this? Because it is critical and vital. I do not want to be a church that's full of slogans. I want to be a church that is actively living on a mission to create a culture to see lives changed through hope in Jesus Christ one person at a time. So today we're going to look at our mission, uh, the very first element. And over the course of the next three weeks, each of those mission statements that lead us to our vision, because when we live out that mission and those visions and it becomes culture, we'll see lives changed. We'll see communities changed through hope in Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at passionately pursuing Jesus. Now this one. They all matter to me a lot. I'll say this every single week. This is my favorite, right? It's like saying this is my favorite verse, right? Love them all. But why this one matters so much to me. When I started walking with Jesus in my 20s, uh, before that I had a coworker I worked with for years who was a, an amazing Christian man. And he would ask me, Scott, you know, boy, you sound like you kind of believe in Jesus. Why don't you accept him and follow him. And I said this, my hurdle to this is if this is true, this Jesus is God, created everything, then what I should expect is that the people that say they believe that live with a passion that reflects that. And in my experience, when I look at Christians, they are far from it. I feel like they're more dead than I am. And so until I can believe and live it out, I will not step into that. And so for years, I lived uh, a life of sin and stuff like that because what I saw around me in believers. They were not passionately pursuing Jesus, someone they believed was God himself. So this is important to me. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at a man that uh, exemplifies a passionate pursuit of Jesus. And that's Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, 
And, and Paul, I mean, this is big. I mean, he's <laughs> huge ministry, so you have to bear with us as we do this. As we look at Paul and his teachings around this passionate pursuit, uh, what we see with Paul, first of all, his, his story or his background. In verses, uh, I believe it's three and four, you'll see, he gives us a quick rundown. Is, so Paul was born a Jew. He was born a Jew with Roman citizenship. And you see that reflected in his dual name, Saul, which is his Hebrew name, and Paul, which he's, we know him more as, is his Roman or his Gentile name. And that's really important in his future ministry, okay? So I'll refer to him as Paul, okay? And, and Paul, uh, elevated, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, strong Jewish faith, rose to the top, was discipled by the greatest teacher, the Jewish teacher, greatest rabbi in that time. Very astute, very educated, very passionate about his faith. And he took that to defend this Jewish faith against this, this new thing called the way. We know as Christians. And he went and led persecutions of them. And on his way to a place called Damascus uh, to go get the Christians, Jesus stopped him, interrupted him with a bright light, knocked him off his horse, literally blinded him. Uh, and Saul says, who is this? He says, it's Jesus. And ultimately, Paul came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and was baptized. So Paul, from this transition, this transformation in his life, this change, lives a passionate life for Jesus Christ. And, and I was, in Acts 9, I won't take you there, so you just have to believe me or go to Acts 9, and this is all Saul's conversion to the faith. Right after he was saved, he's up in Damascus. You know what he does? He jumps up and starts telling everybody about Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it about gets him killed, so you know. But I love this. He didn't wait. Paul didn't wait to, oh, I've got to wait. I've got to, I've got to know more. I've got to figure it out. I've got to wait until, I don't know, the moon lines up with Mars. I don't, everybody's waiting. Paul's message is don't wait. If you know Jesus, you know enough to impact the kingdom of God. Pursue him. Go after him. I remember when I was first saved, um, I was so far about Jesus, I think I was pretty obnoxious, just so you know. You guys remember those moments? Like, I was telling everybody about Jesus, like, shut up, Scott, you're crazy. Um, but I was so excited, like, can you believe it? It's Jesus and heaven and salvation. Wow, the world needs to know it. Even the person at the grocery store, everybody. That's how Paul was living. He didn't wait. He pursued Jesus. If you go down and... Verses 7 and 8 there, Philippians chapter 3, you see Paul's passion. He says, by whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, here's what he's doing here, okay? Uh, he's looking around at everything he had. Remember I told you how much he's achieved? 
And he says, as I look at all that, I count that as loss compared to knowing Jesus. Man, he, he is showing us his passion. And I love this. In verse 8, I'm going to tell you something here. Verse 8, that word rubbish, some of your translations say dung. That word, you see, no, is a Greek swear word. Um, I think there's kids here. Um, I'm not going to say it. Um, uh, replace dung with something that is a curse word. Are you with me? Okay. That's what he's saying. When I look at all this, when I evaluate this world, it is that. It's dung. That's it. It's nothing compared to Jesus. That's my pursuit. That's my heart. That's my passion. It's Jesus. I am focused wholeheartedly on him. And he goes on. After he talks about his evaluation, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He's talking about this pursuit of Jesus and that righteousness. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, you just feel his passion. Straining, just think about that, the emotions of that. Straining, pressing forward, everything, his pursuit, you can't stop him, right? He's going to get there with everything he is, with all that passion. He's going to pursue Jesus Christ. He is locked in. He is all in. He is passionately pursuing Jesus. And the impact of that is why you sit here today. Change the world. Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, so you know. Most every New Testament quote you hear is probably from Paul's pen. He went on three missionary journeys that spread the gospel all the way up into Europe. You know, the power center of the world at the time. He pressed himself with the gospel to Rome and to Caesar, the absolute most powerful city in the known world. He brought the gospel there. Paul changed the world with this passionate pursuit of Jesus. Took to a place where it cost him his life. You know, solid tradition holds that Paul was martyred by Nero in Rome, beheaded. And I love this. As he looks back at his life in the book of uh, 2 Timothy, his last letter written, he says this as he knows he's going to die. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good. It's good, and it's a fight. It's a battle, passionate, pursuing Jesus. And it changed the world. It changed your world. That's why you're here. It's what we're called into. So as we look at Paul and everything that he did and taught around that, there's some things in, in our culture of passionately pursuing Jesus uh, that we want to lift out. And, and just look at what Paul talked about. And these elements in our mission that help us create a culture of passionately pursuing Jesus. And that first thing is hope. Paul says, 
in 2 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. I'm trying to think if that's 2 or 1 Timothy. So, I don't want to get, I don't want to steer you wrong. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6, um, and it's this, this scripture that he says that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for us. What he's saying, the thing is, if we're going to passionately pursue Jesus, it starts with this idea of hope. Understanding that hope, and that hope is only in Jesus Christ. And in that, for Paul, for us, uh, we have to come to a singular focus, Jesus in everything, and then that has to be our filter for all things. It's Jesus first. Jesus, what do you command? What do you teach? How would you respond? How do I respond like you? It starts with hope. Then it goes into worship. It goes into worship. Romans 12, 1. You know, Paul just gives a great description of worship. See, the, the, the core word worship means worth. Something that you give worth to, right? Something that you give attention to. But biblically speaking, uh, there's multiple words uh, used for worship. But what it means is when you give the highest worth, right? Like kneeling before something, lifting something up. It's when you give all of your attention to something, your mind, your heart, all of it. Romans 12.1, Paul says this, that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. What that means is our whole life, and that is your act of spiritual worship. It is you all in with Jesus. And he gives us this amazing picture of a scene of worship. And don't turn there. I'll read it, but in Colossians chapter 3, Listen to this. I love it. It's just this picture of his call for people to be in a place of worship, and we can learn so much about worship. Colossians 3, verses 14 through 17. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this beautiful picture of his call for us to be in a heart of worship. You see this place that we're called to, to press into God, to love God with everything, deeply, richly, with our hearts, and in turn love others. And you do that, loving God, loving others, in everything, in everything you do. That's a picture of what worship looks like. And just to, to give you an illustration of probably one of the most tension-filled places that we show God worth, and that's in singing, Right? You know, the worship wars, they call them. Um, in all of my career, it's always a thing. Because we have preferences. I want to tell you, preferences are okay. Never, ever apologize for your preference in worship and song, right? But you can miss worship 
looking towards your preference. You with me? So a scene for me in my past where I really learned this. In the first church um, that I worked in, so I started attending there, and they ultimately hired me as their youth pastor. So I was there for a length of time. It was a hymns-only church, okay? Okay? And if you've ever done any calculations of my age, you can figure it out. And I was raised in the 80s hairband era, right? So my music has a bunch of guys in tight clothes and makeup and long hair screaming, okay? Just so you know, that's my background, okay? And um, so going to a church with hymns only was a struggle, right? But I love Jesus, and I'm, I'm there, okay? But it, 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 I don't know what it did. I'll just let you put a descriptive word there. This lady named Louise would get up. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? With Sandy, she was there. And she would do the hymn, and hymns are long, just so you know. Them babies go a while, right? Especially you're into seven verses, all that. Um, so, and she would whistle it. So our whole worship for this hymn is her standing up there whistling this thing. I know, see? How many of you feel my pain? Come on, do I have anyone out there? Okay, all right, so. There's no two hands went up. The rest of you mad at me? <laughs> I should cut this illustration. Um, okay. And so, it wasn't my preference. How's that? Okay? But here's where my worship came in. Let me tell you something about Louise. When I was a kid, in the neighborhood, the trailer court that I lived in, uh, with uh, my abusive family, and my neighbor was surrounded with kids that were abused and poor, just poor. There's this little old chubby lady, okay, uh, and her husband that bought this van and would drive that neighborhood and pick the little kids up and take them to church. It's because of that whistling lady, because uh, it was her that led me through the sinner's prayer as a second grader, all right? So when Louise Pearson whistles, I see Jesus. I find Jesus in it. I find worship. Now, I can't wait till the guitars kick on and you know, do that thing, but that worship is loving God and loving other people, finding worth in what Jesus is doing. And we have to get back to that, back to that heart of worship, right? So our worship is the way we go and we see and we experience Jesus. Then our scripture Paul talks about scripture. I mean, he wrote most of it, right? Uh, and the verse is wrong in there. I saw that. It's 2 Timothy 3, really, um, the whole back section, but uh, verses 14 through 17 there. I think it says 2 Timothy 2, 15. Um, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Um, uh, but you guys know the scripture uh, there. And it talks about our scripture. It says all scriptures God breathed. That scripture is worthy for rebuking, teaching, training in all righteousness, uh, reproofing people so we can grow spiritually in Christ and to teach us about salvation. Scriptures are powerful. They're powerful. They are a source from God himself. It's God's breath that through the Holy Spirit he spoke in to individuals. And yes, do they have the personality of the people? They do because they're right in, in certain history of time and space. 
but it was overseen and led by the Spirit. It's God's very words through people to us. They are trustworthy. They inform us about salvation. We come to faith, Romans 10, 17 tells us, by hearing the word of God, scriptures. And they have power. James 5, 16. Uh, it says, you know, the, the, the prayer of a righteous person uh, is powerfully and effective. And it's talking there about healing and transforming people's lives as we intercede for them. You know, so if we speak God's word to people, it actually uses uh, it, uh, the comparison of a sword for the Bible, right? Hebrews 4, 12, um, which if Paul didn't write it, which I don't think he did, but Paul influenced it. So it's still the heart of Paul there. Uh, but he says it's a double-edged sword, and it pierces deep down into us, uh, uh, even uh, dividing our intentions and our thoughts. What it says is this, this scripture is powerful. It's a powerful, defensive tool for us to come in in our lives and protect us and, and tune us into God. Ephesians 6, Paul says, verse 17, when he's talking about the armor of God, he talks about uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the offensive weapon. It's how we counterattack the devil's schemes and plan in this world is with the Word of God. So it's an offensive weapon that we can go in and take ground with. Our scriptures are powerful because it's there in these scriptures that you learn God's plan, God's method for this. Scriptures are important to us. And then prayer you know, is how we create culture, uh, and that's prayer. You know, prayer, Paul says in uh, Philippians chapter uh, 4, verses 6 and 7, in a lot of these scriptures, uh, they're just beautiful. Paul exhorts us to do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I love this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We are called to pray all the time. Never stop. In everything, we need to pray. And, and, and this prayer is this powerful thing. And I love it. It says it will bring us to the place of, of the peace of God, which will guard our hearts. And, and peace we know, know, we've talked about, I think just last week, but the peace, the Greek word is shalom, right? Which means a complete, that's a Hebrew word, complete peace and wholeness of God. So all of God, when you pray, the all of God that you and Counter that you get intimate and to know him better actually comes in and guards your heart. So when Paul says, I want you to pray, he does it because it's going to be this guard for your heart. It's where you're going to get to know Jesus personally. And that's going to excite you and ignite a fire in you to say, this person is worthy to be pursued passionately. So as we look at those elements, what's it look like here at North Shore? Now I want to get really practical with you because as we are called to follow Paul's example in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, 
Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, other translations, follow me as I follow Christ. So as he is following Christ, do what he does, right? So as we see Paul passionately pursuing Jesus in these areas that he teaches us that excite a pursuit of Jesus, how does that look at North Shore? What's it look like? And we want to call you into that, that idea of hope. And you hear this phrase spoken a lot. And we do not say it lightly. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus always. In everything. To have a, a culture and a value here that is Jesus only, Jesus always. If you come to North Shore Christian Church and you want to have, uh, ask us a question, um, well, I hope we talk about Jesus. I hope it's in our culture. You meet somebody from North Shore at work that they are Jesus-focused. That he is our only hope. He is the only hope for this world. Because when we bring that message to our world, we invite them to the only safe harbor in all of this mess that we're living right now. Jesus is the only answer. And that has to be our message. So I want to invite this church practically to live that with every breath that you are. And then worship. Worship, as I said, it's just giving worth. I was talking to Josh this week, our worship pastor, just about this idea and this point, and he brought a verse up. It used to be one of my favorite verses. I've got some others I love. I still love it. He says, this describes worship, and when he said it to me, I thought, wow, yes, and it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him. Lean not on, on your own understanding, and he will make your path straight. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That's worship. That's worship. We need to be a worshiping church. In all of our ways, we are acknowledging him. And then what comes through that is you start seeing acts of worship. Acts of worship outside the church. And that's in your daily lives. That you're living a life that exemplifies the worth you give Jesus in your marriage. You do your marriage in such a way that Jesus is honored and lifted up in your family, in your work, in your habits, in your hobbies, what you watch, what you read. You see, and it's all worship. It's all worship. It's all an opportunity to see Jesus, to find Jesus. Inside here, we come together collectively once a week, uh, here in person and online. Uh, and it is an act of worship by coming together and gathering. He says, I am going to show Jesus his worth, and I'm going to go to the place that his people are gathered to talk about him. Again, whether that's online in your living rooms, look at you can do anything. I'm looking, the Seahawks game started eight minutes ago. Right? Are you switching channels on me? I'm, I'm, I'm watching you. Can we check that tech team? <laughs> but in that is, you're here, you're gathered, it matters. It is showing value to Jesus and value that you have in his people that are gathering. It's our gathering, it's our, our singing, right? Here's what I want you to do. I pray every one of you hear a, a worship song that's in your preference. Like, yes, that's my song, good. But when someone comes up and starts whistling to you, right, 
what you lose, Jesus there? Do I see Jesus? Do I feel Jesus? Can I find Jesus there? And step into that, right? It's in our giving, right? Uh, that's why we put it and we pray about it every time, our giving, right? It's such an act of worship. It's not just something we do to make sure we got the lights on. It's something we're called to do. It's acknowledging everything we have is his, and we get the privilege, the privilege of giving into his kingdom work in our family here and really everywhere. So our giving is an act of worship. You know, the, the message, right? Every time Jesus opened my ears, I want to find you. And, you know, we have a teaching team. There's different um, speakers come up. And you guys, you know, right? It's just like the songs, you have preferences. But what we want to do is, is Jesus being lifted high? And as soon as that happens, you leave this church, right? Right? Because I'll probably be leading you, right? I'm out. Jesus only. That's our worship and everything we do. Your ministry, your serving, right? Opportunity to say, I'm going to be kingdom invested. I'm going to be part of the work of this church of reaching these communities so they can be changed through hope in Jesus one person at a time. So whether it's kids' ministries, student ministries, worship team, on and on and on and on. This is our act of worship, and we want to invite you into that. And there's, going to, there's a table out back for you to sign up to go check it out, start the conversation. Scripture, right? Scripture, we already talked about Scripture. And Scripture is powerful. It, it, it's going to lead us to what God wants in his plan. So we have to know how to study and it, uh, rightly divide the word of God. And there should be a little chart here. I want to give you the learning environments for the Scripture. Is that up there, Ronnie Chant? There it is. Um, you know, to, to learn the skills and study in our Scriptures, the Scriptures are core here for us. We want you to know the scriptures. I want you to give yourself grace because it takes time and a while. So you may have to start a journey, but here are the different environments and there are others. But joining our family classes, this, these are you know, it's like membership and, and different classes that we're teaching around the word of God of what it looks like and how we do church here at North Shore. So you'll see those advertised and that's joining our family classes. That's informing. Our life groups, those are relational environments for the purpose of making biblical disciples. And what we do is we gather together around the teaching, right, the word together, and grow in relationship with one another and with Jesus Christ. Uh, so that's a relational experience with the scripture. And each one of these, you're going to learn and grow in skills. Uh, our sermons here are preaching, right, Ex exhorting. Our job is to uh, be faithful in the scripture, uh, but to take these scriptures, to interpret them, and then exhort you, preach to you, to call you in to action, right? So that's our preaching. And then our biblical foundation, uh, that's our teaching. That's a program. I sure hope you've heard about it now, but if you haven't, it is a ministry here that we uh, want every single person to make sure you participate in the season, and we offer courses, we offer seminars, um, and so their classes typically 11 a.m. And, and there we sit, and we let things sink deep. It's a dialogue. It's teaching you how to study the scriptures. It's showing you through the teaching of the scriptures how to study the scriptures. Um, and so, 
After this, I want to encourage you, make sure you sign up. Life groups, it'd be great if you guys would sign up all together and go take a class, right? They're usually six to eight weeks long, sometimes longer, uh, and you're going to probably see, I know Carla there and some other people in the lobby. If you're online, just put in the comments, hey, I want to find out about this. All right, sign up for Biblical Foundation because in this season, biblical literacy is vital. We need to understand and know the scripture to counter what's happened all around us. And I don't think that need is going to decrease. I think it's only going to increase. So let's be a church that trains and equips people of how to study the scriptures. And then ultimately when I talk about the scriptures, scriptures are the most powerful is when you put them to action. You know, knowledge itself puffs up and actually would make you a legalist and someone that no one wants to be around and they don't want to hear about your Jesus. Scriptures are intended to change our heart and our life. And in that living testimony, uh, people are going to come and say, hey, tell me about that. And then when you know the scriptures, you get to share that and teach them. Understand? So be doers of the word. We just don't want to fill your head with information and historical stats. But a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? And the last thing I want to talk about is prayer. Uh, here at North Shore. And, and prayer here is, as I've already said, it's essential. We want to do what Jesus commanded us to do, is to make his house a house of prayer. Because it's in that prayer that you're showing your, your dependence on him. Uh, you're allowing him to speak in to you, uh, to change your heart, to guide you. And so I want to encourage you uh, to make sure that you are asking for prayer. You know, after the service, we always have a prayer team come up here, right? Um, and that's just an opportunity to come up as whatever God has done in your heart during the service, but may, and maybe you brought it in. But time just to sit with people and pray. You know, the prayer room is always open after service. Go back to someone and pray. Make sure you're asking for prayer. Email the church. Let's be people that pray. You pray. I encourage you. If you say, boy, I don't pray a lot. I just want to nudge you. Step in, pray. Start praying. Well, I don't know how. Yeah, you do. It's just talking. Us Christians have made prayer the mess that it is. You know, you know, well, well, we get these nice slogans, and you know, maybe we're good speakers, so we can put some phrases together. And, and, and the poor person who can't do that, like, uh, I can't do it. You know, like it's some sort of public speech to Jesus. Now, I always say, who are you praying to? You giving me a speech? No, then I don't want to hear you. You don't want to hear me. If you're talking to God, just talk in your language because it's his heart, your heart that he listens to. So just talk to him. Just talk to him. Step into that. Um, if you're someone that prays and uh, we need more people to pray, we have all kinds of ministries. And there's a connection cards in front of you, okay? I want to encourage you to grab a seat. I want to be part of one of the prayer teams. There's weekly prayer teams, right? We have emergency prayer teams, people that will just get on their knees in an instant when a prayer request comes through. Right? Uh, we have people that are praying for the service during each service. We have a, a prayer team for us as ministers and for me as a pastor. Uh, if you want to get involved in any of these prayer ministries, just write, I want to be involved in the prayer ministry, and the director of that will call you and get you signed up. I'm hoping they have so many people they don't know what to do, right? We want to call out God in prayer. And I want to point to somebody. That I just love her story. Her name's Judy O'Connell. Uh, Judy's been going to church here a long time, 
right? And she exemplifies two things. Uh, one is a passionate pursuit of Jesus. When I got here, Judy was a, a door greeter doing that, right? I'm sure she's done a lot of things. But her health brought her to a place that most people say, okay, I'm done. Can't do ministry anymore. Only going to minister to you. But she you know, said, no, I want to be all. So she, she, she stepped in at one of these prayer teams. And uh, she prays. She calls people. I've had people come up to you that are new to this church and say, who's Judy? I said, what do you mean? Well, I just want to tell her thank you because she calls me. Uh, she follows up. She prays with me. Uh, people said, she sent me a book on something that we were praying about to help me. This woman passionately pursues Jesus, right? And she does it through prayer. And there's a whole team that does that. And I want to thank them all for that. And so as I land this service, I want you to ask yourself a question. What's your next step? What's your next step? What's your passion level? Has this become routine? Something you do. You've done it so many years, you do it without even thinking. That's not Jesus' way or his call. You might need to light that fire. It takes by being humble. Say yes to Jesus. Light a fire in me. Your transformation, your change needs to start right here. Because I am spiritually quiet inside. And you want a fire blazing. The world desperately needs it. You need it. Where's your passion level? What are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Is your calendar filled with things of the world? What Paul counted as loss. Are you building a storehouse of the lost things or eternity? What are you pursuing? We want to invite you to step in to passionately pursue Jesus. Get involved in what's happening. Again, there's a table out back. Uh, there are people there ready to answer any questions. Uh, like Paul did, don't wait till you got it all figured out. Step in because it's a Jesus thing. He'll equip you. He'll give you the words. The world desperately needs it. Needs you. God has equipped you. So I think it starts with the last and over- Writing fundamental question. Who has your heart? Whose are you? Does the world own you and have your heart? Or does Jesus? And it starts with this. You may be a person here. And you may have gone to church for decades. Because religion does not save you. Showing up in this building. Going to Bible studies. No, those things only inform you and where God can call on your heart to say in faith, I'm a sinner. And my path is death. But God provides through the cross, his shed blood, life. Life now and for eternity with him. And he'll pour his Holy Spirit into you and give you passion for the things that are 
his, how he created you, your destiny, if you want to use that word, that he has for you. Because he says he's making all things new. The old is gone. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. When you say yes to him in faith, that might be your first step. So whether you're online or you're here, I'm going to invite you, uh, if it's pride, you need to drop down and say, I'm tired of religion. I want Jesus and I want all of him. I want to passionately pursue him and be transformed so that I may transform the world in the name of Jesus. That's your first step. You receive him by faith. Invite him into your heart. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, come back to the prayer room here. Because when we do this, we get this privilege of stepping in and becoming more like Jesus. So the world, our families can see Jesus and we can see what Jesus has for us. So I'm going to invite the worship team just to, to take us. Or will you stand with me? And let's just profess through song together. Let's worship him, give him ultimate value and worth. We want to be more like you, Jesus. I love you, North Shore.